Can I just suggest that we uh, pause a moment and pray for the nation of Australia? Just been through uh, what many probably switched off to many weeks ago, an election, and while we don't have a definitive result, and we have um, Labor conceding that they're not going to do it and the Libs looking like they will, and I think it's just important for us to pause and pray for our nation, pray for our governments. Father, we're privileged in this country of Australia, a place that we call home and where we're free. We thank you that we have the privilege, the opportunity, the responsibility to be involved in the democratic process in this land. There are so many people who've come to these shores in the last few years that this is the first time they've been able to vote because they've been in places where they're oppressed and where they can't get involved in community life. So we thank you that we have this privilege. We have this free country. And we're uh, here uh, this morning acknowledging that um, the process is still not totally complete, so we're not sure of the final result, but... Uh, the Liberals under Scott Morrison will be remaining as leaders in this country. And we want to pray for them, Father. We want to thank you for their willingness to stand up in public office, an office that demands huge amounts of their time, as we've been hearing from some of them. It's costly to be involved in this public office. We want to pray that the Liberal team, through Scott Morrison, will govern for all the people. We ask that they will hear the voices of those who are crying out for help and they will discern ways to make Australia a better place to live in. We also pray for the Labor Party who have lost this, uh, perhaps unexpectedly, are in turmoil. We just pray that they can regroup and become a positive opposition and help the whole country of Australia to unite that we might advance Australia and be a better nation for our people and for this world in which we live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, our three children are in their 40s now, but they're still our kids, and we still have conversations that remind us that we're parents and the job's not completed yet. But when we were raising them back in the 70s and 80s when they were, you know, kind of all under 10, this thing, stranger danger, started to become a word that was being talked about and promoted and programs were being developed in the life of schools and community about stranger danger. And the idea behind this phrase is it's intended to sum up the danger associated with adults whom our children did not know. They're a stranger, so be wary, be careful. It's still a phrase being used today, and I've been on some of the websites this week under Safe School and all those, and it's still something that is promoted, much more nuanced, I think healthier than it was in our day. And it incorporates all the social media stuff that children encounter. But I wonder if there's an unintended consequence of all of this. 
that we may be producing a form of xenophobia in our society. Xenophobia is straight out of the Greek and it literally means fear of the stranger. Because we train them from dead. I'm not arguing the rights or wrongs of this, but I'm wondering if there's an unintended consequence. I'm sorry to bring up the election again. But if you go back to when the date was actually announced and all the candidates were announced and all the ballot papers had been produced and so on and so on, in those first few weeks of the official election campaign, I think it was seven candidates either ruled themselves out or were ruled out by their parties because of stuff that they had written on various forms of social media over the years, things like Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Do you know that in six of those seven cases, it was about racism? Are we xenophobic, fearful of the stranger? There we go. The writer of Hebrews says this. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Or as it comes out, we've got a, as it comes out on the ESV, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And that word hospitality literally means love of stranger not stranger danger but do not neglect to show hospitality love of strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware so the idea is to move from fear of stranger to love of stranger as we read the scriptures Rabbi Ron Wolfson, a lecturer and teacher on the art of welcoming, there you go, in a university in the USA, art of welcoming is title, says we are in danger of losing the art of hospitality, welcoming strangers as guests. He says this, we don't welcome strangers anymore, we are afraid of them. We don't invite people into our homes anymore, we go out to cafes and restaurants. We don't greet people on the street. We avoid them. We don't even answer our phones without checking caller ID to see if it is someone we know or want to talk about, talk to. And Wolfson goes on and suggests that in keeping to ourselves, visiting only those with whom we're already friends and talking only to those people we wish to talk to, he says this, we are slowly losing part of our souls. This hospitality thing might be a big deal. If we don't practice it, we may be losing part of our souls, says Wolfson. Anna Maria Pineda says this, To welcome the stranger is to acknowledge him as a human being made in God's image. It is to treat her as one of equal worth with ourselves. Indeed, as one who may teach us something out of the richness of experience different from our own. She's not a believer, but she's saying the same thing in the secular world. Our hearts might be enriched 
if we welcome the stranger. I'd like to return to the story of the two walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus on that first Resurrection Sunday. The story we looked at a couple of weeks ago, I broke it for Mother's Day last week. The story from Luke's Gospel 24, I'm sure you remember it because it's such a lovely story. And these two people were walking on the road, deep in conversation, chatting about all the things that had just happened in Jerusalem, that had been happening in the weeks leading up and so on. In the middle of their conversation, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were not able to recognize who he was, and we talked about that. And he said, what's this you're discussing as you intently walk along with each other? Now, like most of us, these two disciples found it hard to tell a stranger about something that had impacted them so deeply. We read that all they could do was stand still. They were mute with grief. They were looking sad. Remember, they don't know the stranger. The stranger actually stood right with them there in their sadness. He left space open for them to experience all that they were feeling them, giving them a chance to try and find words to tell him what was going on. And finally Cleopas, one of the two journeying, got a little exasperated. He gave up trying to put what he was experiencing into words and blurted out, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place these days? Surely you know why we're sad. I don't need to tell you all about it. And to cut a long story short, as we looked at it, Jesus continued journeying with these two, masterfully helped them to locate their own story in the context of the larger story of God's redemptive purposes in the world. This stranger was quickly becoming a friend, and more than just a friend, a spiritual companion with an uncanny ability to listen to their hearts' deepest longings and questions. And we remember that Jesus acted as, as if he was going to go on past their village and past their home. And they urged him to get off at their exit and stay with them in their home. Now it's one thing to have a conversation with a stranger in a public place. It's quite another to invite them right into your home. While they welcomed the stranger into their home, shared a meal with him, and then discovered the stranger was Christ. We looked at the story from a totally different perspective a couple of weeks. So listen to that. Welcomed a stranger. And it was Jesus. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews said? Practice hospitality. You could be welcoming angels unawares. Now just absolutely very quickly... Um, hospitality was a very important practice in the Old Testament because as people wandered around doing their trading and doing their other stuff, there weren't motels, there weren't places to stay, there weren't cafes, there weren't any of that stuff. And it was up to the people to open their homes up, welcome them in, as we read in the story, that's why I had that story read of Abraham, get some food and water, wash their feet, get some food and water and um, feed them and if needs be have them for at least one or two nights. That was the practice, to give them security, give them something to eat and help them on their journey. So these two guys in a sense only did what was required of people who knew the Jewish faith. 
But I want you to think for a moment. What if the two disciples on the road to Emmaus suffered from xenophobia? Fear of strangers. It would have meant that they would have refused to welcome a stranger into their companionable walk, into their conversation, into their village, and eventually into their home and their table. They would have missed the whole heartwarming and mind-blowing encounter with the risen Jesus. Because they would have told him to move on if they weren't practicing hospitality. So could it be that the stranger who intrudes upon our lives with their otherness has been sent by God as a means of grace to us? It's an interesting thought when you get into that story. I think this story is a great illustration of what the writer of Hebrews said. Do not forget to practice hospitality, love of strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I want to offer to you some words from Henri Nouon. In a book called Reaching Out in 1976, a Jewish priest who died in the mid-90s, he's been one of my mentors, I've never met him but his writings are absolutely rich. This is what he says. It is obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can, just picture it, cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. Our society seems to be increasingly, this is 1976, full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude and do harm. Guests are carrying precious gifts with them, which they are eager to reveal to a receptive host. It's just powerful. So powerful. When Abraham received three strangers at Mamre and offered them water, bread and a fine tender calf. Now I'm not suggesting you can run out and kill the fatted calf when someone says you've invited them for lunch. But that's what happened. They revealed themselves to him as the Lord. And do you know what they announced? They announced that Sarah, his wife, would give birth to a son. When the widow of Zarephath offered food and shelter to Elijah, he revealed himself as a man of God, offering her an abundance of oil and meal in that, in that encounter. And then what did he do? Raised her son from the dead. She welcomed a stranger hospitality. When the two travellers to Emmaus invited the stranger who joined them on the road to stay with them, he made himself known in the breaking of bread as their Lord and Saviour. With hospitality, fearful strangers can become guests, travelling to their hosts, um, revealing to their hosts the promise they are carrying with them. Then, in fact, the distinction between host 
and guess proves to be artificial and evaporates in the recognition of a newfound unity. Sharon and I have come to you as strangers and it's only for a short time and let me remind you of that. And we reckon that's got to be hard for you. This is not the first time we've done this for short time stuff. And we reckon that's got to be hard for you, especially if you've just farewelled two much-loved pastors and their families in Aaron and Brad who've been here long term. It cannot possibly be easy for you. But so far, you have welcomed us as precious gifts. We trust that this is growing something in your hearts as we just reveal a bit of who we are to you. Do you know what? You're strangers to us, as most of you are remembering. I have to ask you your names again and again and again. By five months' time, I might have it off pat. got a strange memory these days, old age. But you're strangers to us, and we've been truly blessed as some of you have opened up and revealed Christ in your life to us. This is what drives me in pastoral ministry. I sit down with someone and I say, Jesus. That's why I've been doing it for 40 years and even though I've been retired for five, still put my hand up to do a little bit. Your guests revealing precious gifts to us. It is great. Thank you. And if you want to... Spend time with us within the constraints that I have. Just give us a call and we'll figure out some way of sitting down with you. I'm trying to get around most of your key leaders. and still doing that process. But you know something that's been really evident to us is that this is a place that actually welcomes the stranger. I thought I wouldn't preach this mission. I said, blow it. Because I want it to be enriched in you. I was brought to tears last Sunday morning when I watched you farewell, that Colombian couple who'd only been here a few months who had to return for whatever reason. And there's something just went ping in me. What a beautiful place this is. Because I saw them amazed at what they'd been given from you. And I saw you blessed because you'd given I want to encourage you to do it more and more as you remember these words from the New Testament. Share with God's people who are in need. That was a visible demonstration. But it goes on and says, practice hospitality. Now, practice is to pursue vigorously. In fact, it's translated in other places in the New Testament as persecute. So that gives you the strength of what Paul is saying about hospitality. You've got to give it a go and a good hard go. Hospitality is that word that simply is translated love of strangers. Enophilos, love of stranger. Peter, 
been with Jesus, seen all that had happened with Jesus, says this in his little letter, offer hospitality, the welcome or love of stranger to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 4.9 And as I've reflected on all this stuff in preparation this week, um, I've wondered how many precious gifts I've missed because I've not offered the gift of hospitality to a stranger but just kept moving on or said another time. So we can see that for us to be hospitable means that we must turn fear of and suspicion of the stranger into friendship of the stranger. And the stranger for us today does not have to be a foreigner or someone who's overly different to us. She can be a person who is present with us this morning that you haven't actually just spent some time with. That they might open themselves up and reveal Christ in them to you. He can be someone that you work, work alongside. For Sharon and I, it's because we love caravanning, it's people we meet in caravans. Come over and have a coffee with us. Have a glass of wine with us. Oh, sorry if that offends you. Um, and we sit there, and some of the stories we hear from rank unbelievers about spirituality is absolutely amazing. People carry wonderful gifts from God to us. I learned when I set up the Prostate Cancer Foundation support group in Mount Gambia years ago that it was I only knew one other believer in the group. But as I dropped in and saw blokes, how are you going with the journey, saw them with their partners and their wives and stuff, they unpacked some beautiful moments that I would call spirituality. Didn't name Jesus, but they named there was something going on in them that they couldn't put it. I just said to one guy one day, I said, do you think that's God? He said, you're right, but I don't know who to tell. I said, you've just told me. Amazing stuff. A stranger. Yeah, we had something in common that neither of us liked but I just want to throw in another three or four authors here um, because they give us different pictures of what hospitality looks like Jan Johnson a spiritual director a fairly prolific writer Uh, I really appreciate her from the States. She says this, To practice hospitality means to cultivate an invitational spirit. So we're cultivating, come. And we offer a sense of home to others. And she then talks about John 14. If you know that passage well, it's about about, um, God preparing a room for us and then saying he comes and makes his home in us. It's a beautiful picture. Now, she doesn't say your home. She's just make a home. So this morning when you're having coffee and you start having a chat with someone and, and you just sense it's going somewhere, create a space that's called home where they're comfortable and safe to help them just keep on telling their story. That's what Jan, I love the picture because I get it. I've come from what has been a great home and we practiced hospitality when I was a kid. There was always someone around the meal table. So it's a very evocative image for me. Come and sit and make them feel comfortable. 
just this morning, make them feel comfortable home. On renew on again. What does it mean to be a good soul host, he asked to others. And then he says this, the ministry of hospitality is about being present to people. It's about being present to people. You ever been in a conversation with somebody when they're constantly looking over their sho- over your shoulder and darting their eyes around going, you're going, oh, why don't you just go? Being present means as soon as they start, you're focused on them and nothing else. Not the phone in your pocket, not what might be going on around you, etc., etc. I love it. It's about being present to other people. And I say to myself, oh rats, for too much of my life I was in too much of a hurry to be present to others. It's a rare gift today. But because I see so much in here, I want want you to keep cultivating that gift of being present to others. Christine Pohl. We make a habit of hospitality when we remember how much Jesus is present in the practice. Come on, if our whole of life is lived in the presence of God and we are spiritual people, then whatever we're doing, Jesus is present. When we're grotty and digging in the garden, Jesus is present. So when we're with the stranger, Jesus is present. Entertaining angels, unawares. Isn't that what this is about, says the writer of Hebrews? God is pleased when we Christ followers are hospitable. When we delight in the host-guest relationship that allows for the possibility of a mutual exchange of unanticipated gifts that bring refreshment to one another. It can happen over a cup of coffee or tea. It's not Hospitality just doesn't mean the home. It's the practice that goes... That's why I've given you all these other images it's way more than that it's when we delight it's it can happen in the workplace you know one of your mates in the workplace haven't you having coffee together you're on a 10 minute break just give full focus it can happen there it can happen when we engage the refugee the prisoner the poor the outcast in society which is the context of hebrews it can happen anywhere, especially in our homes. Do you, those who are parenting, be good hosts to the guests in your family. They're not yours, those kids. They're on loan to you for a little while. Be great hosts to them. Watch a little three-year-old unpack something of Jesus in your presence as it comes out of their little heart. I wish I'd written a book that had all that my kids did. We practice hospitality and particularly we really worked hard at it when our kids were under our feet. It came to me during where I said to Sharon, do you remember the time Godfrey Malando from Zambia, we had him for a couple of nights when we were ministering in South Australia great pastor in in Zambia doing a tour in uh, South Australia of churches and I'd driven in the 150 k's out to our place 
and he's as black as the ace of spades and the only way you knew he was around from the whites of his eyes and his pearly white teeth. And he came in to sit down at the first meal. The kids had been at school and sport and they came in and they just... I was just... Who's this guy? After two days, they were full of stories and full of a whole lot of stuff that he'd unpacked in front of them and just blessed our kids. We practiced hospitality because we saw stories unpacked in their presence which just helped them see who Jesus was. Janice Peterson, who is wife of Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message that was read from us this morning, a great psalm read to us this morning. She said this talks about hospitality as offering holy space. There's another little thought to pack away. Holy space to another person. Come round me and I'll offer you some holy space. I'll offer you some God's space. I'll offer you God's security. I'll offer you God's love. Isn't Isn't that just a beautiful picture? She's right on the money. We create space for the grace and mercy of God to be extended to others and to us. We create a space for the go-between God, the Holy Spirit, to go to work and we trust him to do his thing between us and in us. We wonder at the uniqueness of our guests created in the image and likeness of God. We welcome them and their story into our presence. I just want to put a warning out here. Hospitality is not about welcoming someone so we can change them. Okay, let's hear that clearly. It's welcoming them because they're made in the image of God. We respect who they are. We respect their story. We let them unfold their story in our presence. We don't practice hospitality so that we can change somebody. That's the work of the God who's going in between the Holy Spirit. Or we might be used on that journey. We will be used on that journey. So how do we become people of hospitality? And this is very, very quickly because I don't think we necessarily find hospitality all that easy. Because we find it difficult to be truly present to another person. We find it difficult sometimes to make room, to make holy space, to make home around someone. We can encourage others on their journey if we learn to be more effectively present to ourselves and the God who is present within us, the God who's made his home in us. When we deepen our connectedness, our relationship with God who is within us, then we will be more willing and able to soul host others. It's not, it's not techniques we learn to be hospitable. It flows out of the relationship we have with God. The Apostle Paul says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And that word accept means welcome, receive into one's home, into one's heart, to welcome into friendship and conversation. As God has welcomed us in Jesus Christ, into his home, into friendship, then we can offer it elsewhere. If we don't know how welcome we are in God's presence, as we sang about a little earlier, then it's hard for us to welcome others. 
Our ministry of hospitality flows if firstly we know that God is the loving host and that we are the beloved guests, but we are attentive to that presence in us. This is from Leviticus and talking about aliens and strangers in the land. Leviticus 19.33 When an alien, a stranger, lives with you in your land, this is to the Jewish nation, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. You Jews, if someone who's not a Jew comes into your land, treat them as if they're one of your own. Love him, her, as yourself. Why? For you were aliens in Egypt. Why were the Jews asked to practice hospitality? Because once they'd been foreigners in Egypt. Who rescued them? God. He says, because I've rescued you, I want you to treat aliens well. It's only when we know that we're unconditionally loved and welcomed and received by God that we can love the stranger with the same grace and kindness. These days, I'm not able to encounter a stranger without wondering, is this the person through whom God is going to speak? Is this the stranger who is going to be Christ to me today? The practice of welcoming the stranger opens me to the presence of Christ in the most unexpected places. And that's something I personally don't want to miss. I encourage you to go on practicing hospitality and see what God does in this space. Amen. Let's pause and just reflect for a moment. I have a suspicion that the Spirit of God may have said to you, some of you this morning, here's someone that I want you to be hospitable to. Some names have come towards you. It may even be names in your own family where refractured relationships are, are existing and you've gone, hang on. I need to be welcoming, accepting, practicing hospitality. If God's laid a name or something on your heart, I encourage you to keep praying about it and act on what the Spirit of God, the go-between God, says to you. He'll lead you. If you're uncertain, nestle into your relationship with God where you're welcome with all the rubbish that's in your life, but he still welcomes you. Get a handle on that so that you can get a handle on being a lover of strangers. Father, I want to thank you for this congregation that you have here. I want to thank you for the evidence of the practice of hospitality. And I ask that by your spirit you would encourage this place to go on being hospitable, hospitable so that your kingdom can grow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.